Hello and welcome to The Late Show. I'm Nelson Late and here I have my guests for today. Uh, we're changing it up a little bit, getting a little bit more serious. I have my friend Sylvia Costa. Now, that name may sound familiar to you, but uh, this is a different Sylvia Costa. Uh, it's not the Sylvia Costa that you may know from Pama with her friend's podcast. This is actually Sylvia Costa from New Jersey. Uh, a good friend of mine, we've known each other since we were teenagers, and she's like the sister that I never had, and uh, we're going to talk about some serious stuff. Hi, Sylvia. Welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So before anything else, I mean, the the whole Sylvia Costa thing, we, we were talking about this before the program, but I, we have to tell the story because it's funny that I happen to know two Sylvia Costas, and, uh, and you actually had an incident that had... To do with your names. So tell us a little bit about what happened with your name a few years ago, because uh, this is actually a pretty funny story. I mean, it was more than a few years ago. So for perspective, I am 45 years old and I was in college. It was like my first year in college. I was 18, maybe 18, 19 years old. I was very young. I was a young girl, young driver. And um, I got pulled over and um, I I got arrested and I was panicked, clearly, because <laughs> I'm like, what did I do? Um, and this is in the town that I lived in and brought to the station uh, and come to find out. It, it seemed like an eternity, but it was probably pretty quick, maybe half an hour, if that. Um, there was another... Sylvia Costa, matching middle names. I'm not going to say my entire name, but exact same name, uh, same age, but different date of birth. Uh, This person lived in South River. I lived in a different town in New Jersey. And so it turns out that that other person has a drug history, extensive drug issue. And they thought it, they they were, they thought I was her. It (laughs) it was the most terrifying (laughs) So you got you were wrongfully arrested. <laughs> I was, and if I had known, I would have sued and been rich now. But you should have done it. Why I didn't you do it? I, I didn't know. I was. I didn't know. You didn't. I know. didn't know any better. And by the time I figured it out, it was too late. You should have had some legal advice. I, I should have. Okay, yes. that's a that's an interesting story. So. But apparently, it's a very popular name. Is it? Even extremely popular. Wow. If you Google, there's thousands and thousands. I wonder if the other Sylvia Costa knows that. I'm sure she does and okay. uses it to her advantage, I'm sure. Well, there you well, go. Well, hopefully by now she's sober and doing well and has done... No, not, not the one that got arrested. The, oh. one, in, the one in California. <laughs> Pretty sure. <laughs> Sylvia Costa from Bama. Oh. Hello, Sylvia. She's probably listening. So anyway, I wonder if she knew that it's a popular name. Anyway, that's a funny story, but uh, let's get into uh, more serious stuff. And yes. our program today is actually pretty serious. Um, so you work for child protection and permanency out of New Jersey. Now, uh, in California, we may know that as child protective services, and, and it varies from state to state. So what, what is your exact title there? I am the county services specialist for the area office that provides services for Middlesex and Union counties. New Jersey. Um, It's a very unique uh, job title. Um, And there's only uh, one of us per area. So there's I think there's eight, eight or nine of us uh, in this exact uh, job title. So uh, eight or nine throughout the whole state. Yeah, so basically, child uh, county services specialists, what we do is um, we're kind of the face of uh, interface of the community between the community um, and the agency, right? So I go to a lot of community meetings. I meet, um, I connect with community providers and bring that information back to the staff um, at the CPMP so that we can connect our families in need to community providers as much as possible. Okay, now I said before that it varies from state to state, but every state has its own agency that's the equivalent to the agency they work for in New Jersey. Um, And we're going to point out some of those differences a little later in the interview. But uh, basically, you guys all have the same goals in common from state to state. And what exactly does your agency do? 
So it's, a, it's the child, but you're correct, Nelson. It's a federal mandate. Every state has a child protect uh, child protection agency known CPS usually um, is what it's known as. And we all have different names. In New Jersey, we used to be known as DIFIS. I think people would identify with that. Uh, if you're a New Jersey listener, we are now CPP, formerly known as DIFIS, but it's a child protection agency like every state has. Um, and our primary focus um, is child abuse and neglect. And that's what, um, you know, so we get calls for children that are being abused or neglected by their parent. Um, and that's when we become involved and intervene. Okay. And uh, what would you like the community to know about what the agency is? I mean, I, I know there's a lot of um, a lot of um, misinformation out there. There's There's parents that might have like... A troubled child and, and they should probably get you guys involved but they're afraid to i don't know get in trouble themselves i mean yeah yeah what can absolutely. you say about that? there's a lot of misinformation um and stigma with uh, related to involvement with our agency and i understand that but the, the the major misconception is that you know cps workers are children uh snatchers um i mean there's actual support groups on facebook that i've seen um where you know people just bash cps workers um actually uh, i've read how um cps workers take children because we get paid extra for each child that we take wow. it is absolutely absurd um and obviously that's a lot of misinformation but <clears throat> we're Sounds not like a lot of bullshit not misinformation. Yes. I mean, so th there, there is uh, funding from the federal government um, that uh, goes to states when there's a child in placement. Uh, and that funding is to provide for the child. It's federal aid that goes to a, a child in placement to help pay for the foster care, for the the, ex the physical exams that get involved, for all the supports that that go into um, into play when there's a, a child in placement. I mean, they're, they're assigned a nurse that accompanies them with their health care. There's a lot that goes into play. And those federal dollars do do come to state, um, state aid. And that's what people are referring to. But they're saying that the CPS worker gets the money extra money for removing a child that is absolutely not true the only reward we get for removing a child is a lot more work 10 times more work the uh, volume of paperwork involved when you remove a child is ridiculous excessive redundant i mean i, I can go on it's you pile on the where you end up working all-nighters it's insane so trust me we do not want to remove uh, children. That's not what we're there to do. We're so, there to yeah. intervene and make sure the child's safe. You're not working on commission. like We're definitely might. not working on commission. That's insane. Yeah. No, we're not working on commission. There, there's a lot of, there's a lot of weird, uh, theories and rumors. I mean, we've seen that with COVID too, where, yes. where there was a lot of weird stuff. Um, but obviously this is even more serious. Um, so, we were talking uh, about all kinds of uh, services that you guys provide. We're also talking about, you know, um, families who are displaced and things of that nature. Uh, what can you tell us a little bit about that? So the reason why our agency um, is child protection and permanency, that permanency piece in the title is indicative of all the services that we do. So basically, yes, we intervene when there is a child abuse and neglect situation. However, there are many, many families that are not abusing their children and just need help, uh, right? They, they need help. It's overwhelming. Um, being a parent is hard work and children come... <clears throat> And all I'm, shapes and sizes is coming to mind, but that's not what I mean. Like they just come with all types of needs, all types of, um, you know, and, and parents need support sometimes. So you can call our agency if you need help. And uh, there's what we call a child protective um, call. And there's what we call a child welfare call. And child welfare calls is to address exactly that. It's parents that need help. They may need help because they're going to, so what I'm seeing a whole lot of lately is homelessness or precariously housed families because the economy is just, it's really difficult. The housing market is at an all-time high. It's insane. Um, and it's really almost taken over my job title, working with these families that are precariously housed or homeless. 
we're seeing a level of homelessness in New Jersey unprecedented. So we get calls from families that are having a hard time paying their rent, that are on the verge of being evicted or that are already on the street. Um, we get get calls from families that are having trouble putting food on the table, uh, that are struggling. So that would equate to, you know, not being able to provide for your child. We cannot see a child on the street. Like we cannot see a child under the bridge. We cannot see a child go without dinner. So our agency uh, works very, very hard to connect those families to existing community services to pro- to help pr- provide those needs to the families. There are times when that takes time. It takes time to connect to social services. It takes time sometimes to put in all those applications for food, for SNAP benefits, for housing assistance, um, et cetera, et cetera. So our agency does the best it can um, with providing those needs until the community services can be connected to the family. And then at that point, we would close out because obviously that's not abuse, right? Not being able to provide food to your child because you're genuinely having a hard time financially. That is not abuse. They're just having a hard time. We're all human, right? So those types of calls, if a child doesn't have a winter coat, um, et cetera, child welfare concerns, you can call us if you're struggling like that. And most of the time, again, we connect you to a community provider. And that's where my title really comes into play a lot. That's why I go out to the community quite a bit and learn what's out there so that I can then bring that information back and um, help, you know, make that bridge. And then we would close that case. There's no need for us to be involved with a family who's struggling financially. That is not abuse, like I said. Uh, And then we obviously have abuse calls, which is the bulk of why that that's why our agency was born right and that's the mandate federally for every state to have a child protective agency so if a family is actually struggling like you said with food and and things of that nature they they shouldn't be afraid to contact someone to get help absolutely. because they think they're going to get judged or or their no. kids are going to get taken away from them absolutely not we do not remove any children for lack of housing for lack of food none of the that is not Abuse, again, that is not abuse. That is very important for families to, to know. Uh, if you're struggling and you're having a hard time navigating the community services. So again, obviously, Board of Social Services is what is there for SNAP benefits, which is our food. Um, um, SNAP benefits is what uh, people used to know as... Um, um, oh, now I'm food stamps. Food stamps yeah. Yes, also known as food stamps. We don't call it food stamps anymore. Um, but yeah, so we would help make that bridge, connect the family to those services. And sometimes those things can be cumbersome. Applications can be cumbersome. If you don't have a photo ID, if you don't, if you lost the birth certificate of the child, you don't have your social security card, those things take time to get, and then you can't apply. So there's a lot of red tape that goes with certain, and that could take time. And clearly a child can, cannot be waiting two, three months to eat, right? So we will make sure that the family is okay until we're able to connect to those services. So they'll get uh, they'll get some kind of help almost immediately. Immediately, absolutely immediately. We will respond within immediate to twenty four hours is the longest that our response time is. And if we go out and there's no food in the home, we will absolutely the the case managers will take the families food shopping, shop right food shopping. I don't know what's available in California. I don't know what this. this there's no shop right, but there's other ones. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yes, uh, we make sure um, to support the family until they, they're on their feet. And connected to services. That's great. Um, so we were talking also before we we recorded. Um, we were talking about the foster system, and oh, yes. and you 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 mentioned something about parents that are going through some tough phases in their life, and they have their kids basically into the foster system. Mm-hmm. And you you were talking about how some of the times the parents you know make it harder on their kids. By making promises, basically, they can't keep. You want to talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. So the dynamic of visitation and what that entails when the children, when child is in placement. <clears throat> Obviously, children that visit regularly with their families, it keeps the connection alive. And um, there's study after study that shows children fare better and families fare better when there's regular visitation. So a huge burden, and it's not a burden, it's part of the job and what should be done is to make sure that those connections stay alive. Visitation is super, super important when a child goes into placement. So uh, we have, depending on the dynamic of what's going on in the family and depending on if it's safe, right, to do so, 
there's visitation every week. And, you know, it used to be an hour a week. Now it's a whole, we're seeing a whole lot more than that. Depending on, again, where the family is in their journey. So if a parent is actively using and it's unsafe to visit, we do try. But if the if the parent come, shows up under the influence, we're not going to have that, that visit take place. But we do minimum two hours a week. And that's very, very minimum. There's uh, It's usually a lot more than two hours a week. And again, that is because if a parent is actively seeing their child, they fare better. Their journey is usually... Uh, their journey, meaning, you know, if it's a, if they're in so, uh, trying to be sober, or if it's a mental health issue, they usually <clears throat> attend their services more regularly and stick to the plan to get on their feet when they're they keep that connection alive with a child. It's super important. Same thing for the child, right? You want to maintain those connections. But um, there's also the other side of the coin where you have a parent who is mentally ill. Uh, or a parent who is really struggling with addiction, or a, peg- a parent that has like cognitive delays. That happens a lot too. A parent who's just cognitively, you know, uh, delays. Again, like I said, you know, th- when they visit their children and they make empty promises and they, they tell their children, you know, you can come home next week or we're going to have you home next week. You're- it's almost over. Like mommy will come get you. Now the holidays are approaching. We see it often. Oh, you're going to be home for Christmas. We're going and making all these promises. And it's unfortunate because it's not most likely not, not the truth. Right. And it really sets up that child. um, for for failure it sets up that child to have some behavioral issues we see a lot we see very it's very common for a child to visit with a parent and then after that visit to have that and that first day or two going back home to really have the behavioral issues um come out uh, and and you know they act out and because children lack the vocabulary or you know lack the ability to express how their frustration um in, in ways that uh, adults can. Even some adults <laughs> don't know how, right? True. But usually children are lacked out. That's how, that's, how they verbal, that's how they express their frustration or what, what is going on with, 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 with them, within themselves, right? So you'll see a child act out. Um, and it gives the foster family a very hard time. Um, sometimes children will sabotage their own placement, meaning they'll sabotage the, you know, being with a certain family because they think if they get kicked out, if, if the family gets frustrated enough, that they'll be end up with their parents, even though they can't. They're gonna, that they're going to go back home. Um, and that's not the case. You usually end up in another foster home. And then it just, it's, it's a vicious cycle and it, it's, it's really heartbreaking. Um, but we see that a lot, unfortunately. I, I know we had uh, spoke also about this. Can you give me a, uh an example of some of the cases that you had to deal with that I've had to deal with. Um, um, so it's been many years since I had a direct caseload, meaning since I, um, dealt with families one-on-one, right? So I described my job, my current job I've had for, it's been 13 years in this job title. And I don't deal with families, um, usually don't deal with families. But back in the day, um, when I was a caseworker and did investigations and went out um, to answer certain calls, there were, you know, very scary things. Um, uh, One thing would be um, sexual abuse. I had a very hard time with those types of cases. And it happens a lot more than I think the regular public realizes it's a pretty high percentage of our calls. I would say um, the last time I think I looked, which was pretty recently, within the last few months, I looked to see the percentage. I think we were at 14% of cases that we get calls on were sexual abuse cases. So that's a pretty high percentage, right, uh, of the calls. Um, so it happens a lot more, and I think people need to be vigilant. Um, it's usually within family, right? Um, the perpetrators are usually somebody that child knows. So it's usually grandma, grandpa, boyfriend, um, not grandma, sorry. It's usually males. And I don't, I don't mean to say sorry because females are also perp, but it's very small percentage. It is usually a male perpetrator. Um, and we're talking boyfriends are, are a huge percentage, uh, grandpas, uncles, somebody the child has access to who grooms the child. Um, those are usually the, the calls. And or the, an older cousin. And then nobody else sus- suspects either. And that nobody else exactly suspects. Um, so unfortunately, we we do see a lot of those, and I I, re- I remember those I had a very hard time with, 
mental health, I also had a very hard time with because mental health is one of those things that um, you can't really blame, right? Blame the parent. Um, it's such so stigmatized. And we're, we've, we've come a long way, actually, in the past probably 10, 15 years in terms of the stigma. Um, it, I think to the be- for the better, we've come a long way, meaning for the better, which is good. Um, also, mental health is at an all-time high, but that's a whole other time that's a whole other conversation but yeah i had a hard time with those cases because you you have a mental illness it's really not your fault it's not your fault right and and the medications are, are it's a difficult it's a difficult thing um sometimes it's trial and error and it could take a while to be on the correct medication many medications have severe side effects such as making you su- super sleepy super groggy uh, or you gain a ton of weight uh, you don't feel well so for those reasons you know, people don't stick to them, go off of them, and then you have, you know, um, you decompensate um, and are not able to parent. So those things really pulled at my heartstrings. I remember one mom in particular, I, ha- I, I that was, ended up being a removal of the infant. She gave birth and she had been stable um, prior um, to getting pregnant. She was on medication monitoring and she was um, adhering to her medication properly and and was stable. But then um, the pregnancy derailed that. So we all know as women, right, the hormones, um, it interferes. Some medications you can be on safely. Um, I'm not sure if the medication she was on, she could not, honestly, I can't remember if she had to go off the medication or if she just went off the medication because she was pregnant and chose to go off. I'm not sure what happened, but it affected her mental health in a major way where by the time she gave birth, she had hallucinations. She could not parent, right? And we had to remove um, that child. And that that was just heart-wrenching. It, it's nothing that parent did wrong. It's not, it's not her fault uh, in any way. Um, and unfortunately, I cannot give you the answer. I don't know if that child was ever reunified. I want to say yes, but I do not. I, I honestly... You wanted to have a, a happy ending. I want to ending. have a happy ending right now for you guys, but I, do not, I cannot lie. I don't know. I don't know. It, wow. hopefully, hopefully so, because that's what we work towards. And I'm, I'm thinking probably because if she was successful prior to pregnancy, I'm hoping she went back on medication and, and was able to, um, to be okay and be able to parent safely. I don't know. I moved on to case number 20, 30, 40. Like, you know, you move on. When you're in investigations, you you get assigned cases and that's it. You got to move on to the next family and don't always follow through. But that, that just came to mind as we're talking as an example of one that really tore at my heartstrings. Um, Do you ever become, in a way, cold to the cases? So that's an interesting question. It's probably yes. And it's, I hate to admit this. I hope nobody knows me because <laughs> it's it's so horrible. Uh, maybe not cold. In a way, but de- in a way, it's kind of like the nurses. I I once I once spoke. Yes. I, I spoke with a with a with a nurse that said that you yes. have to almost be cold to people because you get really attached and then they pass away or whatnot. It's kind of tough, but I don't know if it's cold, <clears throat> but you it definitely affects me affected me less. So I'll give you an example, right? And I apologize for my coughing in the background. <coughs> Yeah, he's, he's dying. Oh, Jesus. He's dying here. Um, anyway. I have offered him meds. He doesn't want them, just so you guys know. <laughs> but anyways. <laughs> um, it's a scratchy though. It's fine. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah. So, the, the, for example, my first year on the job, I remember at least twice, three times a week, I would come home in tears. And just just heartbroken, uh, begging my parents to take in children. You need to become foster parents. Like it was, it was rough. That started happening less and less, right? Because you get you get accustomed to seeing the horrible things that you see. It, it, it and it's sad, but you have to build that wall. You have to, otherwise, you don't survive in this career. You just don't. Um, so is that coldness? I'm not sure if that's coldness. It's Maybe just, not the proper word, but yeah. I guess people understand what word, right? But yes, I got accustomed to seeing horrible things. I, it's kind of interesting because you see our intake staff, which is the staff that go out on the initial call and in, doing the investigation piece of, of the job. So basically how it works, we go out, we do investigations. That's the initial, uh, right? So we call the hotline. We have a hotline that you call to report any abuse or neglect. That call gets generated, it gets coded into a child protective service or a child welfare service and gets assigned to the, uh, to the local office that handles that particular area. 
And then an investigator goes out and they have, uh, if it's a severe case where there's fresh injuries or a parent is under the influence right now, if it's an urgent thing, right, you have to go out within one, within two hours of receiving the call, you have to make contact with that child. And that can also be a 24-hour, sometimes some, some calls get generated and it's a 24-hour response. And then some of our child welfare concerns um, can get a 72-hour response. So the most that we can take to make contact with a family is 72 hours. But uh, the most is 24, the, uh, the most often calls are 24 or immediate. So you go out, do an investigation, uh, make sure the child is safe. Um, and then those cases, if the family needs to be open for services, um, then those cases get uh, transferred to uh, what we call our permanency staff, which is when a case gets open and then we plug in services needed for the family, whether it's mental health or substance use or whatever it is. And I lost my train of thought. I don't even know what the question was at if this you point. you were to get cold <laughs> Cool. Um, oh, okay. So there are that's what I wanted to say. So our investigators, which are first on the scene and see the most awful things, right? Right. We have the worst sense of humor. So anybody that is not in the field that would be walking into a room, maybe our lunch room, would think that we were the most horrible human beings on the face of the earth because the jokes that go on are just not. It, it's awful. It's awful sense of humor, but it's how it's how we cope. Almost. Right. Um, you want right? to tell us a joke? No, I don't want to tell you a joke. Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> I tried. Just to illustrate that, yes, we build some resistance, but it's how you survive. You have to. I think you see the, the same type of thing with EMTs, with anybody who's really working in, in this type of environment, this traumatizing environment, because it is traumatic to see some of the things that I've seen. You, yeah, you see things that most people don't see right. and they don't want to see. Sometimes they, they close their eyes and look the other way for it. Absolutely. You know what? That brings two cases that I wanted to actually talk about. Awesome. Um, there are much more. So I also, after I was a case manager, um, I also worked on our emergency um, team, response team, which is the, the, the team that responds to investigations after hours, right? So nine to five is usually our daytime staff must go uh, get those calls that are reported between the hours of nine to five. Any calls that come in to our hotline after five go to our emergency response team because, again, we're a 24-hour agency, right? So I've worked on that team. Um, and I was pregnant with my son. So my son just turned eight. So he just had his eighth birthday. So this was when I was seven, seven months pregnant is when I stopped working on that emergency team. And I remember the last two calls just happened, just so happened to be two awful ones. Uh, and I think this needs to be said because it just brings some awareness because, um, I think a lot of folks would think, oh, this, this is only on TV or this is not going to happen to me. And trust me. It happens. It happens um, to people, um, and I've seen it. So one, example number one, it was um, an infant, a, a child mortality, unfortunately. Uh, it was a six-day-old infant uh, baby, um, and it was the co-sleeping. Um, so you may, um, you know, there's campaigns all over the country uh, against co-sleeping and I get it trust me I get it I'm a mommy too and my child was breastfed and it was so hard not to co-sleep so hard because you fall asleep and you get, me, yeah sleeping with your child sleeping with your child right. which you know it's a bonding thing there's a lot of cultures that actually uh, that is part of their culture to co-sleep with your infant and I get it especially if you're a breastfeeding mommy like you're laying down you're exhausted and you fall asleep um, but I was seven months pregnant and th this, this brand new mom, that's exactly what happened. And she did have a lot of pills. She had a lot of other red flags uh, going on. It was not just the co-sleeping. She also had, you know, on the bed, many, many pillows. She had the baby propped up on pillows, which obviously it's a suffocation issue. Um, so the proper way and and just to make it clear co-sleeping is really not the best option there are some um cribs not cribs but little um i don't even know what you would call them but little um beds that you put on 
your bed where the infant can actually safely go sleep with you and they're in their little space. Right. It just, you know, so they have those now. I've seen those. Or there's actually, I've seen one that props on the side of your bed that just attaches to your bed. So they're like on the outside of the bed. They're so close to you. They're so close to you. Right. But co-sleeping, co-sleeping, meaning the the, the child in the midst of you and your partner or just next to to you as a mom, you can easily roll over. Um, and an infant cannot, def- they, will, they will suffocate. And this is exactly what happened. So it wow. was just heart, heartbreaking. So needless to say, I did not sleep for the first year of my child's life. Because <laughs> I was so traumatized. There was right. no way I was doing that, right? Um, so th- that's one. Um, and then number two, the car seat thing. Uh, babies, children in car seats. It's so, so important to follow the guidelines of the of a proper car seat. So another thing that will, I will never forget as long as I live, um, and my child just turned eight, and just now I took the car seat off my car as soon as he turned The, the booster seat. The, the booster, yes. Yeah. Um, but there was um, a two-year-old uh, little boy, and this is just heartbreaking because that parent... Um, had a really tough choice to make. Basically, that parent, she was a new mom. She had a, a brand new baby uh, who was sick uh, and needed to go to the, the hospital. And she had the two-year-old. And she had a partner. And her intentions were to leave the two-year-old with her partner at home and bring the infant to the emergency room because the infant was having an issue with breathing, um, RSV or something. So last minute, the two-year-old started screaming, wanted mommy, wanted mommy. Um, and... You know, in the midst of that tough decision, it was just mom was ready to go and they just put the, the two-year-old in the back seat of the car um, and she, it was a quick choice, right? There was no time. She really wanted to rush to the emergency room. She put the two-year-old in the back seat without the car seat. I guess the car seat was in the other car. They never changed it. It was two o'clock in the morning. It was in the middle of the night. She thought, oh, you know, what's, there's going to be no cars on the road. I'm not sure, you know, I, I'm not sure what happened there, but that was the choice she made um, last minute, right? She was doing the best she could um, under the circumstances. However, she did get into a horrible car accident. She was at a, um, a light. Somebody ran a red light and basically T-boned her car, like just bad crash. And that child, um, I'm not going to get very graphic, but it was a horrendous thing. And I had to witness that child in intensive care. Uh, we have to we have to go see the children and talk to medical staff when we're doing an investigation. And right, obviously there was no car seat. So that turned into a child neglect issue. Wow. Um, and obviously the prosecutor's office was called because again, a two-year-old with no car seat and now he's in critical condition. And I'm not going to go into into details, but I, when I tell you, I will never forget those images. And I was, pre- it, it, it just, there was never once in the eight years that my child has been alive that I did not have a car seat. Like I was adamant and i knew about the dangers but seeing it first firsthand um is just and, and a lot of people don't they think well that you like 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 she was driving late night and thought there's nobody on the road what are the odds i mean I the mean, odds could happen anytime very tough i don't want to be in her skin it was heartbreaking right. I mean, my heart broke for those parents to now have a child who's you know may lose their and that child survived by the way that child ended up surviving um and, and, but has you know uh, has issues yes right. um but can you imagine being your child is is in intensive care and in very critical condition and now you have police department there child protective like i my heart just broke for that for those parents um it was obviously not intentional um and they were not charged in the end they did not they were not charged um but still to have to go through that trauma and then on top of that have Prosecutor's and, office there. And, and their child child's going to have issues for the rest of their I mean, life, it's probably. Just, yes, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, that's going to weigh on their, that's going to weigh on their conscience for the rest of their lives. Yes. Um, oh, another case that I just thought of. Can we go for it? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Also, the, on that emergency response, I was not, this was before my pregnancy, but in the emergency response team, uh, summertime uh, pools, right? Pools and drownings. Um, this child survived, so it's... <laughs> This child survived, but also, so this child was at a birthday celebration. Um, it was actually the child's teacher that had, it was not a birthday celebration. I'm lying. It was a celebration at the end of the school year. This teacher um, threw like a little party for the children that she um, that she taught. Um, and she, she, on a, she left 
the, the pool to go grab food. And she was in the house cooking and the children, there were children of various ages because she was a support teacher, that meaning that she taught different grades. So there was t- uh, children of different age, age groups. So mm-hmm. there was little ones and there were 12-year-olds. And she made the bad mistake of just li- leaving children unattended in the pool. And the six-year-olds uh, drowned. Um, and Olds? As in- six-year-old. Oh, one. Okay. Six, one six-year-old. Um, and it was just heart-wrenching. It was just heartbreaking. And she did get charged. Um, that teacher could not teach again because she was found... Child neglect. Yeah, yeah, child neglect. I mean, it was it was, it was was not wow. a good call. <laughs> but leaving any child in a pool unattended in the summer... Or around did, a pool. Or around the pool. Or around the pool, right? So there's <laughs> child deaths in pools every year. No matter how much awareness, how many campaigns... Uh, or, um, you know, on the internet, on, on social media, on TV, there's campaign. I see campaigns every summer about pool safety, car safety. We see that too. Children left in hot cars. And every year, ev- without fail, every year we get child deaths. It's, it's interesting because you're talking about the, the pool safety and everything. One thing in California that they have that you don't really see in New Jersey mm-hmm. is we have um, – there are water channels that are used for irrigation. Okay. And they're everywhere. And yeah. a lot of kids like to play in them. And there's also a high risk of drowning on yes. those things because yes. they're actually deeper than they look. Some Doesn't of them are actually very deep. deep. So that's a misconception. I'm glad you're saying that. Yeah. Because children will drown in shallow water yes. all the time. Yes. All the time. So you would think, oh, they can just get up, right? The water's up to their knee. They're not going to drown. Children will drown in tubs. In tubs. They can yes. get up. It's, you know, so it happens. Do not leave your children unattended, even if it's shallow water. Sorry to interrupt you, Nelson. I just oh, want no, to no, make, no, it's cool. make sure I dispel that because, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah it's, there, there's a lot. I mean, this, this is kind of a scary, uh, as a parent myself, uh, it's a scary thing, especially when they're younger. Yes. Because uh, you're always that constant worry. Okay, what are they doing now? Where, where are they playing? Or where, what are they playing with? You know, what are they playing around? I mean, there's just yes. constant worrying about things. And sometimes, you know, parents might overlook Something that could be and very you know, serious. Some parents get made fun of. Oh, you're a <laughs> helicopter parent. You heard that term? You're a helicopter. You know what? Be a helicopter pa- That's okay. <laughs> What's a helicopter parent? A parent that's always like... Always hovering? Oh, yes. Well, Interesting. that's okay. Be that. <laughs> so it could be like a drone parent. Be an advocate. It's a drone parent. Let's call drone, it... Yes, be a drone parent. <laughs> yeah, because a drone is hovering to film stuff. I Look mean, at stuff. I may be hypersensitive because I've seen it all. But the point, uh, uh, the point of me making these statements is that it happens to someone. It happens. It's not just on TV. I've seen it, and I seen the uh, and I see the families that it happens to. Um, and some of it is neglect, and some of it is just those last second like decisions, like the the person who's on the way to the ER. That one will forever like it breaks my heart that she had to go through that trauma and then have us interview and be in, in you know in that space when she needed to grieve and be there for her child, but couldn't even do that peacefully because we're, you know, interviewing her about the the, the bad decision she made. It, it's, it's horrible. It happens. These things happen. Shifting gears a little bit. And, and again, we don't want this to be a downer of a program. Uh, we want this to be yeah. just an awareness one and, and discuss. Um, and Sylvia's dog just joined us. Uh, so, we want to make sure that there's awareness of all these things, uh, not just for parents, but for, for family members, for neighbors and all that good stuff. So shifting gears a little bit, what if someone, and this is something that a lot of people might be wondering, what if someone knows someone that they suspect? suspect that there's maybe child neglect going on or child abuse maybe a neighbor maybe a family member that suspect that there's something's going on and they probably think okay this is none of my business maybe i should stay out of it what can you tell to someone like that so in the state of new i'm not sure what the rule is in california it probably is similar to new jersey but in the state of new jersey we are all mandated reporters right some states only doctors teachers um, or, you know, police departments are mandated reporters. In the state of New Jersey, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say 
California, I'm pretty sure California is one of them. We're all mandated reporters. You see something, it's a child. Children some are oftentimes voiceless, right? They don't advocate for themselves many times. Sometimes they're young enough that they can't advocate for themselves. They're not yet verbal. You see something, you call it in. Um, it may be a family that is struggling um, and may need, again, may need the help. And it may, it may make a difference be, between a child, and I'm being dramatic, but a child surviving or not. Or a child having a child having a safe childhood, or not, and growing up to you know if if you don't have a safe childhood, you're most likely going to grow up and have PTSD, mental health issues. I mean, there's all types of uh, of mental health that arise from not having the best childhood. Um, you also don't want, you don't want a child to go without either, right? So if it's it's a family struggling financially and um, they really need the supports, just call. Um, it's we have a hotline in New Jersey. In, in New Jersey, it's one eight seven seven NJ abuse. Uh, it's a centralized screening. Uh, so anywhere in New Jersey, you would call the same hotline one eight seven seven NJ abuse. I'm not sure what the California. I think Nelson yeah, has it. Yeah, in California, uh, there's each county has their own number, uh, but there is a website <clears throat> which is uh, www.cdss.ca.gov. So that's C as in Charlie, D as in Diego, S as in Sylvia, S as in Sylvia, dot CA, dot gov. Uh, that's their website. And through there, you could look at your county. You could look at information. You could contact them directly from the website or also by county, whichever county you're in. In Jersey, it's a more centralized number, which maybe is not a bad idea for California, but because of maybe population numbers, they try to keep it as uh, as a county thing. So your advice is someone that suspects something, they should say something. So definitely say something. Call our hotline. You can you can remain anonymous um, if you really don't want to disclose who you are. You don't have to. Um, I mean, it's nice to disclose you, who you are, and I'll tell you why. At the initial investigation, you know, the call, the call center is only going to get so much information. And many times, you know, if we have a hard time finding the family or if we have some more, or if the call did not come in, uh, if we have some, some questions that can be important questions or valid questions, right? We can always call. Definitely you see something, call it in. Um, you have the choice to remain anonymous. So if you really uh, don't want to disclose who you are, you have that choice. You can just call in anonymous, anonymously. Uh, I would encourage, uh, if at all possible, to not be not to not use that option to to actually disclose because sometimes, oftentimes, we need additional information um, that is not on the on the initial call on the initial report, and so it's it's helpful to be able to call that reporter back and have a discussion to make sure we get the whatever information additional information we need. But it's better to call in anonymously than not to call in at all. Um, and so I would, I would seriously encourage, but you know, it takes a village to raise, to raise a child. Um, and so we, we need to be responsible. If we see a child suffering, a child not having their needs met, call it in, um, you're on the side, on the side of caution. If it's nothing. And again, and, and one more statistic that I want to throw out there also at that initial investigation, um, only a very small percentage of those cases, not very small, but a small, less than half, much less than half. I think it's at 30-something percent of all cases that we go out on are the cases that get opened for services. So the bulk of those investigations, we end up not opening for services, whether it is plugging to a community service that is a, a quick kind of referral that we can do, um, or so, so sometimes we get out there and, you know, if it was a neighbor calling or, or whatever, it's a mis maybe they misunderstood. It's the, when we get out there, it's not as bad as, you know, the, the, the person that called thought it was, or we're able to remediate right away and not have to call, not have to open the case for services. So, you know, it, it is just about 30% of those calls that, that get open for services. So it may be nothing, but you don't know until we get out there, right? It's better to be caught. It's better to you're on the, you on gotta the side say of, it. You yes, gotta call somebody yes. just to make sure. Make sure, yes, absolutely. And a lot of the times, the, the problem could even be solved in a simple matter. And yes. they're not going to take the child away from the parents. Oh or, no, so, or any of that. So I'm glad you you mentioned that. Uh, another thing, a very very small percentage of cases end up on a child being a child removal. We do everything in our power to keep a child in home. Um, 
everything in our power. We do safety protection plans, which is what that is, is when you go out there and there is an issue, right? We see an issue. The child is at risk. Um, we call a family member, grandma, grandpa, uncle, a neighbor, a family friend to come and stay with a family. Let's say it's, a, it's an issue of um, mental health or an issue of um, the parent not being sober at the time, the parent substance abuse issue. We will have another adult come in and supervise for a couple of days until we put plug in services, until we get to the bottom of exactly what's going on before we will remove a child. A child removal is really maybe the 1% of the cases. We do not just go in and it's take a very a child. extreme. Yes, absolutely. We don't just take children. <laughs> I um, we're almost done with our interview here, and I want to thank you once again for being a part of this because I think a lot of misconception and misinformation exists about this. So yeah. glad you cleared a lot of it out. Now we're both Portuguese, yes. and there's a lot of myths in our culture, a lot of weird ways of looking <laughs> at things. And I have to ask you this: I don't. I, this was not a predetermined question and it just right. popped in my head but you know answer whichever way is best right. but you know in the, in our culture and other cultures you know still people the old the old folks the old-fashioned people i know my parents and probably yours as well they have the old mentality of you know what you know which yes. in other words physical is discipline, yeah physical discipline thing. what is the law state about something like that So I can only speak for the law in New Jersey again, right? right? Okay. Uh, it's state by state. I don't think there's a federal law uh, that, that dictates physical discipline. But in New Jersey in particular, it is not against the law to use physical discipline. Um, so what is, against, what is against the law is when you mark a child, uh, you physically injure a child. So that's where you get in a bind, right? And it's a fine line. So And it's a very good question because, again, a, a, a light spanking... Did it kill a child? No. Did it ever? Does it? Does it really? I would have been dead. Right. I would have been dead myself. Right. Colher de pau every day. Right. It was. It was rough. Cap de basura, chinel, whatever, whatever was handy. But oh, my mom will be mortified. Uh, she's never going to hear about this, right? Um, <laughs> I'll okay, make sure so I tell her when we hang Physical discipline, corporal punishment is a thing. It's not against the law. What is against the law is if you cross that line and you mark a child and you injure a child, which can very happen very, very easily, right? So as a parent, your child, they push buttons. That's what they do. They will push you, and my, my child included. I, I will confess, I just had a complete meltdown yesterday uh, in tears because my child has been pushing my own limits, right? And I have a rule myself where I do not use corporal, any type of corporal punishment at all. So I do not physical use any physical discipline. And this is the reason why. Physical, physical discipline was utilized on me. Did I die? No, I'm here. Um, did it do me some good? Eh, you know, I, there were it moments. turned out okay. Eh, it turned out okay, I guess. Um, but the reason I do not use it is because I know my kid pushes me. And I know this is the truth. They push our limits. That's their job as a kid. And our job as a parent is to not allow it, right? To curb it, to teach them. So if you're pushed to the limit, you're really frustrated. And out of frustration, you're now utilizing corporal punishment. That's when accidents happen. And that's when you, you don't know how strong you are, right? And the child's fragile. They're little. Their bones are fragile. Their, their skin is, is fragile. You can easily break skin. You can easily hurt a kid. Um, and that's where it becomes an issue. No, I don't think most, mo a lot, most, I wouldn't say all, but most cases of physical discipline where a child gets injured, I don't think it was an intentional thing. I think a parent just really lost their, lost, lost I was about, shit. I can say shit, yeah, they course. lost their shit, right? Yeah. That, they can be manipulators, those little guys, right? Yeah. We love them, but they sure can be. And you lose it in that moment, and that is not what that's not the intention. But now it's too late. And now you have a child with an injury. Right. Right? And that's most of the time what happens. Do we have extreme cases where there's torture and there, yes, I've had those cases. There's wow. those as well, right? It's horrendous cases that you see on the news, and some of them you don't see on the news. Yes, there's those as well. But the bulk of them is really a parent that is trying to do their best and really loses it. And that's unfortunate because that was not what the intention was. And so that's the cho that's the choice I made as a parent, and that's why I have that I have that rule where that I do not use physical discipline. Because had I not had that rule, I can tell you right now, there have been moments where I definitely, 
definitely could have easily crossed the line. I know because he drives <laughs> me. But I love my little guy, but he. Whew, <laughs> And I'm a single parent. I can so only like, imagine the parents right now who not in their head. Yes, they, listen they to this. They know. They know. Yeah. Um, so that's that's my personal choice. I'm not saying that that should be your choice. We all make our choices. For me, that's what works. And that's what reins me in. And that's what keeps me from ever crossing that line. Um, and so it's a fine line. So I would be careful. Right? Nobody wants to hurt. We don't want to hurt our own child. Correct. And we certainly don't want the police at our door or Child Protective Services nope. being called. Um, so again, I don't know what the rule is in California. I'm not sure. Um, in other states, do we have people that listen? Or no, oh. Canada, Portugal, we have people all over the all place. All over. So yeah. So you have to check with the local. Like, check with your local. But I, I, I would caution you, you know, physical discipline is probably not the best. Um, it probably is more of an easy fix. You don't want your child fearing you. I mean, a little bit of fear is probably okay, but <laughs> but we don't want your child fear. We want them to know right from wrong. We don't want them to not, just not do it because they're scared, right? We want them to not do it because it's the wrong thing to do and they know it's the wrong thing to do rather than not do it because they're terrified of what's kind of, what, what the repercussion. What the, right. right. We want them to not do something because it's not the right, right thing, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah, but... So... If you didn't get our inf- our you know information as far as who to contact, you know, grab your pen and paper real quick out, and we'll, we'll repeat that. Uh, if you're in California, uh, the hotline for reporting child abuse or child neglect or a child that may need help uh, or someone you suspect that may need help, it's www.cdss.ca.gov. Again, that's c dss.ca.gov and in New Jersey what's the toll free number again 1877njabuse and that is 1877njabuse awesome one last uh, word that you want to say any advice anything else before we go um one more thing that I don't think we touched upon and I meant to mention I, I, I might have mentioned it in passing but I just want to make sure um, that you know, there's children that have mental health needs as well. It's not just adults. Um, and every state has um, an agency or some type of support for mental health. And that would not be... So if you are if you find yourself as a parent really struggling to parent and your child has um, some special need, uh, usually behavioral, either behavioral health or mental health, get the help you need. Um, it is a separate agency from our agency. It is not, you know, if you're struggling to parent, it's that's not abuse, right? That you're not abusing your child. You're not neglecting your child. Sometimes you're the one being abused by your child because right. the child has those severe um, behavioral health or mental health needs. So there's no shame in that. Um, make sure you you get the help that you need. Um, I'm sure California has, and I don't, I'm not familiar with the name of that agency there, but in New Jersey, it would be CSOC. Uh, which is our division of mental health for adolescent for children um, above the age of five. Um, so again, it, it you can call our hotline as well, and they will direct you. But it, if you're googling, you Google CSOC, C S O O C, CSOC, um, and it is our the behavioral health division for children. So it would be help for your child and and help in guiding the parent to deal with children with with those needs. So I think that's important to to mention too. Sounds great. Sylvia, thank you so much for this time and all the information. I hope it helped somebody listening. And uh, if they have any questions, they could always send us a private message through uh, Pama, through our social media or our email, pamamedia at gmail.com. And uh, we'll be sure to help any way we can by maybe redirecting you to the right person or agency. I mean, we're here to help the community in every way, shape, or form that we can. So uh, <clears throat> just reach out to us. And once again, Sylvia, thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome. And uh, this is The Late Show. We'll be back next week. And uh, thank you for listening. And have a wonderful day, everybody.